Hi, I'm Oki, and welcome to Tell Me About Your Book. Welcome back to another episode of Tell Me About Your Book. I'm really excited to be talking to author Frank Weber because his books, his series, fascinating. Their books right up my alley. But the main book that we're going to talk about today is called The Haunted House of Hillman, which is your latest release. Hi, Frank. How are you today? Good morning, Oki. How are you doing? I'm good. I'm good. Thank you. Yay. I'm glad you're here. This is exciting to me, even though these these books are really grueling and intense, but I'm I'm just getting excited to I get to talk to you. Can we go ahead and dive into your your book? Sure, I'd love to. Can you tell me what the haunted house of Hillman is about before we get into the fact that it's based on a true case? Let's get to what it's about first. Okay, the haunted house of Hillman is about an uh, an actual crime case where a murder goes unsolved in rural America, small town. Teens start daring other teens to go out to the house in the middle of the night and spend time there. Unfortunately, oh, man. They're, not thinking about, <laughs> yeah, they're not thinking about the fact that if you have an unsolved murder, it also means you probably still have a killer somewhere in the area. Uh, and he starts yeah. to see the home as a victim magnet. Um, one of the things that really attracted me to the story was there's a couple amazing stories of victim survival in this book. Right off the bat, the first chapter starts off with this woman who's attacked in a truck, ends up getting shot twice. She escapes from the truck, and it's middle of the night, runs through the ditch. She ends up chasing her. She crawls into an 18-inch culvert all the way across the other side of the road. And when she first crawled in this culvert, she was thinking, okay, this is the stupidest thing I've ever done. Now I'm dead meat, but he ran by it. He didn't see her there, and he never realized she got to the other side of the road. And he spent his night looking for her in the ditch, and she called the police and managed to survive. Oh, wow. Yes. That's insane. So <laughs> crazy. But okay, sorry, keep going. Well, and there's another one later on about a victim who was assaulted and stripped and thrown over a waterfall. And she ended up crawling back up the side of it and uh, walked to a highway and ended up surviving. Like I said, that's what amazed me is uh, the will to live by some of the women. Right. Even if it's fictionalized, it's true in real life, too. Yes. The way we react to that period. How was it writing this book, having to fictionalize some characters, even though the crime itself was based on a on a real event? My crimes in my books are accurate, where the fictional part really gets back to the the investigator. I use the same investigator. Oh, in okay. So everyone is a new mystery for that person. Even the investigator's life more is more true than I care to admit it sometimes. <laughs> So do you enjoy writing more about the investigator John versus versus your main characters in all of your books? As a forensic psychologist, you deal with a lot of challenges. And so writing the main character, John, allows me to express some of my frustration about the challenges you deal with. Sometimes the creative insights it takes to solve a case, it's fun sharing that and and right. the process about how you get to that point. I'm glad you're sharing all this because... There's so many true crime readers out there that can't get enough, which I'm one of them. You know, I can read this stuff again and again and again. So with this book, though, what made you decide to put pen to paper when it comes to this case or when it comes to writing this next 
this book of yours because you've had other books prior to this that are just as fascinating to me. So what is it about this one? (laughs) Um, This is my seventh book. With each case, I start looking into a case that I find a little bit of interest in. And sometimes I get more interested as I start digging into it. And sometimes it's like, uh, oh, that's not that good. And then so I, I move on to something. <laughs> else. But this is what, one that just kept getting more and more fascinating. There were more levels of interest. And, and a lot of things that people don't think about when you deal with cases, I like people to be aware of the reality of working with crime. Like in this case, for example, um, one of the first cases, the DNA was sent to St. Joseph's Hospital to be stored. And then from there, it was supposed to get sent to the lab. And they lost the DNA. Oh, my gosh. One of the things you don't see on TV shows and movies is exposed DNA only lasts 13 days. You can get DNA years later, but it has to be sealed. For example, so if you find a body years later, you could get it from maybe inside a tooth or drill into the thickest part of the skull and get DNA from inside the bone. But in this situation, she had been cremated in that time. And the hospital lost the DNA, and all the the DNA at the scene is not was exposed and is no longer usable. Oh my gosh, man! As, <laughs> as you get into investigating the case, they take a look at are there any other cases similar? Well, they couldn't find any, but not because there wasn't a similar case. It was because some of the counties are way behind in putting data into the CODIS database, and so that becomes another problem you deal with. Right? Yeah. Of course, we don't think of that. <laughs> but that's why we love reading stuff like this, because we get exposed to behind the scenes or right, just the all the daily. The yeah. So would you say your books has a huge focus on the procedural part of the investigation versus the the actual crime itself or just a good combination of both? I think it's a good combination. I, I feel like every great mystery needs to have a little bit of romance, (laughs) a little bit of humor, and then some tension. Because I think one of the problems is you can't keep things tense all the time. And I use this example, the show with Claire Danes. I can't think of the name of it. Homeland? Homeland, yeah. I I, I love, she's a great actress, but the last Uh season just got boring because she was frantic all the time. (laughs) You have to allow the audience to calm back down again. Otherwise, it doesn't get thrilling. That's and true. So, so that's why you have to take them up and down on these very, you know, these emotional spectrum. Because then I feel like this is this is such a journey when reading the book. Like we go along with this ride with you and yes. and there needs to be like a break or like a breather chapter or something. Right. Kind of like almost eating like courses, meal courses. That's a you good know, example. Ha- right. When you have your appetizer and yes. yeah or sometimes when you get a little little ice cream in between meals what whatever they're called but anyway <laughs> so this now being your seventh book has your writing process changed at all throughout are there any new surprises that you've come upon I feel like I'm getting better because initially I didn't start out as someone who was writing with the intention of being published I started out as writing as a way to vent for my work because, you know, you spend your day talking to a serial rapist. You can't come home to your wife and kids and say, hey, guess what I did today? You know, you try right. You need a different outlet. <laughs> and I write, I love a good mystery. And so I started writing true crime mysteries based on cases and just putting them in three ring binders in the closet. And after a decade or so of doing that, I was thinking, I think I'm getting pretty good at this. And then you start wondering, is this just self-delusion? Because I'm not <laughs> sharing with anybody, you know? 
Right. And so I finally decided I should send one to a publisher. And then I sent one to the publisher and they said, this is going to sell. You got to start a sequel. Oh, I love that. And so I do one a year. Well, congratulations. This is this is fascinating work. I think this is so awesome. But was it always your intention to always have the investigator, John Frederick, to be present throughout your books? Well, when I wrote the first book, I wasn't sure if I was going to write a second book or not. I enjoyed it. I really enjoyed writing. The first book was called Murder Book. And uh, Murder Book is what we talk about in forensics when you reopen a murder cold case where there's a homicide. You're opening the murder book. I was working closely with a BCA investigator named Dick Plopnik who had told me the story. And I said, this is just a great story. From there, I, I decided I like first person. So I write some of my chapters from the investigator's perspective, some are from the victim's perspective, and some are from the offender's perspective. I have an advantage a lot of writers don't have is like in my last call book, I counseled the kidnapping victim in that case. And I know how her thinking changed over a period of time of being held captive and she wanted to be in one of my stories that I, if I changed her name and I said I would and uh, th that whole process of initially thinking you can talk your way out of it and in the end thinking okay I'm going to die here but I want to leave some DNA so they can solve the crime and then fortunately for her sake she was rescued so some you get that perspective but you also get the killer's perspective I have an advantage from interviewing people who commit homicide and assault that uh, I know how they think I know how they rationalize their behavior, like I mentioned in last call, that even killers are heroes in their own stories. And when people get to those chapters, they say that's really creepy, but they like that they're there because it gives them an understanding they wouldn't otherwise have. I, I feel privileged, honestly, that I get to talk to you and then knowing your hands-on experience into your books. What else, Frank, can you tell me about you as an author, even though you've told me a pretty good amount, <laughs> being you know, forensic psychologist, your approach to your books, we feel like you're living in that world at all times. What else can you tell me about you? <laughs> I enjoy my life. I mean, so people sometimes ask, how can you do this work? Right. My understanding is this happens whether I deal with it or not. And I want someone who's not easily fooled. I had the opportunity to uh, study with Robert Hare, who's the world's expert on psychopaths from Toronto, Canada, wrote a famous book called Without Conscience. I've done some training with Masters and Johnson in their sexual compulsivity in New Orleans and actually attended training with uh, John Douglas. If anybody's watched uh, the Netflix oh, yeah. Mindhunter, he was the mm -hmm. first profiler. I'm obsessive about learning. And I, I tell people I come by that honestly. I'm one of 10 kids named in alphabetical order. That uh, <laughs> so yeah, it's it's been part of my history. I grew up in a home where everything was labeled, and I mean everything was labeled. I'm <laughs> looking over at the tall bar, which said tall bar on it, and thinking, <laughs> what else could this possibly be? Do small people come here do chin-ups? I'm fascinated with it. I'm sure you have future plans for more books very similar to this. What are some plans you have coming up? I'm actually working on my next book. It's based on a case where a Minneapolis attorney was accused of hiring a hitman to kill his wife. And oh. I've been meeting with this person's son regularly and talking about the case. That's an incredibly interesting case. Which is with their, There's a lot of twists and turns to it. And uh, I'm very excited about getting this book out. It's been fun to write. I am feeling like I'm... Talking to celebrity here, to be honest, this is, <laughs> this is really fascinating work. I do have a weird question. What made you want to fictionalize these characters and the crime versus writing kind of a true crime novel and just 
talking about a case? That's a great question. I like a great story. Mm-hmm. I come from a family of storytellers. Most of them were like barroom storytellers, but uh, that we're very good at at sharing stories from generation to generation. And I like just getting into the depths of conversation, which you can't really do if you just have facts. Mm-hmm. And that's what's interesting is the way people might share a conversation back and forth between you know an investigator and the person they're interviewing. Um, sometimes between the offender and the victim, all of that, because I've had privy through doing counseling with people about the types of exchanges that take place. I love sharing that. Oh, my gosh. Okay. And also another weird question to have, and I know it sucks to to for you to answer this part. Is there a favorite book that is hold to your heart? Because this is your seventh book now. And this this one, Haunted House of Hillman, just sounds so unbelievably fascinating to me, but it's like picking a favorite child. Sorry. Right. <laughs> Is well, there one that you really that's love a good writing? And what's interesting about it, it's always the last one. So right now of my books published right. on the House of Hillman, I get into researching the communities each time I write one of my books. Like, Hillman is a weird place. It's not on the way to anywhere. To go to Hillman, you have to actually drive into the town, turn around, and drive back out again. (laughs) It has this huge 4th of July parade where they have contests like Miss Port Queen and Poultry Princess. And and so it just, so I researched it, got the qualifications, talked about this kind of stuff from being in the book. There's an area several miles out of town where there's two bars on a corner that everybody in the community refers to as bullshit junction because a lot of gossip is processed in the area. And so (laughs) address all of that, like people know it in the book is fun. (laughs) So you're saying this is your your favorite so far. (laughs) Right. Right. I don't blame you for saying that. (laughs) So Frank, where can we get your books? You can buy them at frankweberauthor.com on my website. So it's frankweberauthor.com. You can also go to most bookstores that uh, they're in small bookstores all over the state. They're in Barnes and Noble all over. There are, are Kindle and audio versions on Amazon. So, I hope that you're in this bookstore that's local to where I am. I'm in Houston, Texas, and we have a bookstore called Murder by the Book. And it's such a great, beautiful bookstore that has all mystery thrillers. We're going to make it happen. Right. I'm going to get a hold of them and see if they'd be interested in having me stop in and sign yes, some Yes, because this is, it's a perfect relationship, I think. Yes. You know, that place is amazing and your book fits right in. This is so cool. <laughs> I have a son who works as a chemical engineer in Houston. And so I spend oh, So he should know about, about this already. So we'll, we have to make this happen. Okay, that sounds wonderful. <laughs> It, it does make sense, chemical engineering in Houston, because that's the majority of our of our right. uh, craft here. Yeah. Well, I want to say thank you for coming by today and just giving me a glimpse into this world of yours that that honestly I've always been fascinated by. I just always never met anyone within this. I want to oh, say realm, met. but you know, <laughs> any last minute thing you want to say, Frank, before we go today? I just want to thank you. It's just been wonderful um, talking to you that you make the conversation so easy. I have to share this with you because uh, so many times when I'm interviewing people, they use cliches and phrases incorrectly. And you've all heard the phrase, um, work like you don't need the money, dance like nobody's watching. One of the last assessments I did at a young woman, she said, my mom always said, dance like you don't need the money. (laughs) 
That was perfect. <laughs> Thank you. you almost need to uh, put that on a shirt or something. Yes. <laughs> but once again, thank you, Frank. This was this was a really fun conversation, even though the books are really heavy and intense yes. to me. But there's there's entertainment in a in a weird way when it comes to reading these types of books. But have a good day, and I hope to see you in Houston. I hope I hope we get to uh, we get to meet and you know, get you to sign my books. That sounds wonderful. Yes, <laughs> I'd love to. Thank you, Oki. Yeah, I'll talk to you next time, Frank. Thank you. Take care. Okay, bye. Thank you for listening to this episode of Tell Me About Your Book. Please continue to support indie authors and indie bookstores. And if you would love to support Tell Me About Your Book podcast, you can certainly do so by going to buymeacoffee.com slash tell me podcast for a price of a coffee you can support monthly for just five dollars there's other tiers too in the memberships and you can look at all the info about it and i would certainly certainly appreciate it and of course there's the other podcast books cats and snacks where caddy and i talk all things book and about her cats too see you then